You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and if this is your first time checking in, thanks so much for joining. If you've been here for a while, welcome back. Glad to have you here. Today's interview is one I did with Sophie Cousins, who you may know from her spectacular rom-com books this time next year, just haven't met you yet, and the latest one before I do, which is what we talk about just uh, a little bit at the end of this episode. Sophie writes perfect books for the end of the year when people are looking for cozy books to cuddle up on a couch with a fire and a mug of tea and to enjoy where you know you want to have something that is going to take you on a journey and bring you back to a happy ending. So I have found myself recently, we talk about this in the show, I found myself recently loving cozy books. And so getting to talk to Sophie and then dive into before I do recently was really, really great for me, especially this time of year. Uh, Before we get to that, I want to give you a book recommendation here. And so my book recommendation is one that I'm about halfway through right now. It is Darling Girl by Liz Mikalski. This is a dark, modern reimagining of J.M. Barry's classic Peter Pan. I don't want to give too, too much away, but if you're a fan of reimaginings where there is a lot of, um, I don't want to say role swapping, but kind of determining who the villain is and who the you know, good people might be. And it's a playful twist on that. But it's just a really, really interesting take on uh, Peter Pan. I really, really like it. I, I think you'll love it too. Again, I don't want to give too much away, but if you're a fan of reimaginings, Darling Girl by Liz Mikalski, uh, I will let you go look up how much of it you want before you dive in. I literally saw that it was a reimagining of, of Peter Pan and dove right in and so far I'm loving it. It hasn't let me down. Speaking of recommendations, in case you missed it, uh, over the weekend, I did a bonus episode with Amy Clark from the Book Gang Podcast and Mom Advice, where we went back and forth with book recommendations. We actually handed out over a dozen of them. So in case you missed that, I released it as a bonus episode over the weekend. Go check that out wherever you listen to your podcast. It's in the same feed as Passions and Prologues, but highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun. I've gotten some really nice feedback from people about the different recommendations. I'm going to do that a couple of times, um, every couple of weeks, basically, every couple of months, rather, uh, just to give some additional recommendations as a thank you for everyone for listening in. I mentioned today's conversation with Sophie Cousins. What we talk about is her love of the sea. Uh, Sophie actually lives uh, with her partner on an island in the middle of the UK. It's called the Island of Jersey. And it's a very small island. It's in the middle of the sea. And we get into basically how her life has changed since living on this island and all the things that she loves about it. I really, really think you're going to enjoy it. It was super, super fascinating to hear about. As always, if you're looking for additional book recommendations, you can send me an email to passionsandprologues at gmail.com. All I ask is that you leave me a a five-star review or a quick rating uh, wherever you listen to the podcasts. And as I mentioned previously, I am going to start picking a winner every month or so to send a bookshop.org gift card. And all you have to do to kind of be quote unquote entered into that is just send me an email. I want to know about your passions. I really loved getting to know the different passions from all the authors that I've chatted with. 
over the last few months, but I want to you know, I want to know your passions as well. So if you want a chance to win a, a free bookshop.org gift card from yours truly, all you gotta do is send me a quick email. Let me know what your passions are. I'm very, very interested in it. Okay. That's all the housekeeping. That's all the fun stuff. Uh, it is chilly and cozy here in November in Cleveland, which makes this the perfect time to talk with Sophie Cousins. Again, I think you're going to really, really love this discussion and you'll love before I do even more. So all that is coming up next on Passions and Prologues. Okay, Sophie. So what is the thing you are super passionate about that we are going to be diving into today? Well, I think we're literally going to be diving in because I'm going to say that my passion is the sea, both living by, swimming in and walking by because I have only moved to Jersey, which is an island where I live um, eight years ago. And living by the sea is definitely something, I mean, I like the sea. I went on seaside holidays. Mm -hmm. I like swimming in the sea, but I didn't connect with it maybe in the same way that now I live, you know, a 10 minute drive away. It's quite a big part of my life and quite a big reason why I love living where I live for sure. I love this so much space to play in and as I have a million questions for you. So I, I tend to ask people like where this um, passion came from, from like early on in their lives. If, do you have any like first memories or any early memories of going to, to visit the sea? I feel like everyone has their own relationship with large bodies of water. So was there something like early on that you remember? So my, I come from a very big family. I'm one of five and my Mm mum is one of five. And we have a tradition where every year, all of our family go down to this beach called Polzeth in Cornwall, which is on the West coast of the UK. Um, Because my mother went there when she was a child. So literally there's been people from our family going there for a hundred years um and we have a very british seaside holiday where we build sandcastles and we have sandy sandwiches mm-hmm. and we all go bodyboarding in the sea and so i really associate the beach i think with very wholesome activities but also a chance to meet up with family and mm-hmm. you know i'm really close with all my cousins because we see each other every year because we all go on holiday together and the group has sort of grown to, you know, there's about 50 of us now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely have very happy memories of sort of seaside holidays. And, you know, we would go rain or shine. We would, we have a very eccentric British seaside holiday where even <laughs> if it's raining, we go, we sit under towels, we get in the sea. Um, so yeah, that's probably was my first, that's my first mm-hmm. like memory or kind of experience of seaside holidays. Yeah, I, I feel like, seaside holidays on the UK side versus in the US side, we have like different experiences because I, so I grew up kind of like you were talking about where you live now. I grew up five minutes from Lake Erie, which is one of the great lakes. So not as nearly as fun as growing up by the sea. It's, it's a lake, but it's still very beautiful. And the same thing, like uh, our family didn't interact with it in the ways that we would go and celebrate holidays there. It's not exactly the same, but when you think of US beach holidays, I think people think of like, sandy beaches and sunshine and tanning on the beach and all these different things is that the and then when people think of in their minds incorrectly or correctly they think the uk of gray and dreary and like windy and like craggy coast signs and things like that so were those this is more so for my edification 
are those the types of beaches that you were visiting and are visiting or is it like the sandy beaches you can kind of frolic with a, a dog and all of that good stuff well, the beach we go to, I mean, it's beautiful. There's big, sa- there's lots of sand. But the thing about a British beach holiday is you can never guarantee sun. And if you want to go and sunbathe, don't go on a British beach holiday. But in a way that makes it more, when there is a sunny day, it's almost so much better than if you've gone to a hot country because it feels like a complete bonus. You're like, oh, wow, it's actually sunny. I'm going to have to put sun cream on. But I think that the British felt like the British kind of seaside holiday is much more about activities. So you might mm-hmm. play like a game of cricket on the beach or you go put your wetsuit on and you get in the sea and it's cold. It's not about sunbathing and having kind of cocktails by the pool it's very much just carry on whatever the weather and that's kind of part of the fun but so, but my my in-laws are much more kind of hot weather beach people and so when they came they came and visited this holiday with us and yeah they all thought we were completely insane that we were sitting in the rain on this beach mm-hmm. <laughs> which fair enough we probably are <laughs> so when you and your partner made the choice you mentioned about eight years ago to move to an island by the beach was that something that it was brought about because of all the fond memories you had or was it just like what what was it that drew you in your adult life to want to have if not similar experiences because like you said you can't bring the 50 cousins and everybody there (laughs) on a daily basis like what was it for you to want to be close to the sea on a a daily basis so we didn't actually think about weirdly that wasn't the reason we came so we moved my husband had a job opportunity here I'd never really I'd never been to Jersey before I had no kind of experience of the Channel Islands so For US listeners, the Channel Islands are basically a small group of islands between the UK and France. They're actually much closer to France. You can actually see France on a good day. And Jersey is the biggest Channel Island, but it's still really small. It's only nine by five miles. So it's really small. And it's kind of known for farming. And there's also finance here. And it's famous for its milk and all that kind of Mm. thing. So we came just for work. And we didn't know we'd necessarily stay for very long. And then it's interesting that the beach and the sea is what um, has really drawn me to stay. And I think part of it is like, if you live on an island, there's an element of being a bit constrained because you can't just get out and drive and go somewhere different. And, you know, the landscape is pretty unchangeable internally. And so I think the appeal of the sea is it really stops you feeling claustrophobic because that's a landscape that's ever changing. It changes Mm -hmm. daily with the tides. It changes daily with the weather and the seasons. And so I think, I wonder if all islanders feel this a little bit, that when you're in a very small landmass, the sea becomes a really valuable way of, of not feeling constrained and just walking on a beach and looking out at that vast expanse of space and water, I find essential. You know, if, if you were only living on a, if you were told you could only live on a nine by five grid of land and you couldn't look out or go out or do anything else, I think that would be quite hard if you didn't have the sea, for me personally. Yeah, I I find myself always being struck. My, um, both of my brothers-in-law have have boats and to joke like the best possible way to be interacting with a boat is to have a very close friend or family member who has a boat that you can go on whenever and I don't have to take care of it exactly perfect yes and um all this this summer one of my brothers-in-law he and I went out and like 
we found ourselves going out, like instead of going along the coastline one way or the other, we would go straight out into the lake, like 10 miles on his boat. And it's, it's a larger boat where we weren't like, you know, on a little tiny motor boats, like the, but it, and we would watch the sunset and we would like kill the engine and it was so quiet and peaceful. And it was the most at calm I have, I think I've ever felt. And a lot of it has to do with this. Like I kind of like you were talking about this massive expanse of the sea. Like I have a deep respect of like, I love the water. I love being on the water. I love watching the sunset and things like that. But like, I have a massive respect of like, there's, it's a shallow lake, but it's still like 70 feet deep below us. And I just like this whole, like that feeling of how small we are when you're surrounded by this, this mass of water. For me, it does get almost like, I guess it feels like claustrophobia, but it's obviously the reverse because there's so much expanse. Yes, yes, totally. And I, I know I know exactly that feeling you're talking about because so in my second novel, Just Haven't Met You Yet, which is all about a woman who comes to Jersey and, you know, she's from London, very kind of urban lifestyle, and she kind of experiences the island and being by the sea. And it's kind of a love letter to where I live, um, that book. And I remember one, one of my favourite lines in it that I remember thinking of when I was swimming in the sea is that, you know, when life is hard or you're stressed, if you look out at that horizon of the sea, it's like a spirit level for the soul. And that's very much, I think, how it feels in terms of that seeing your place and how small you are and how insignificant, but in a yeah. in a nice, calming way, rather than in a kind of scary being out on Mars and looking out mm-hmm. at the universe way. The sea feels... <laughs> Um, manageable, but also it's a reset, completely, completely a reset. So how this is, apologies if this sounds like just a, a person who isn't familiar with living on a, a small island like, like you, like you do. Are there changes you've had to make in your lifestyle from like availability of resources? And like, I guess like how, when a place is that small, like you said, it's known for you know, like there is, you mentioned there's finance, but a lot of it being like known for, like when you mentioned like Jersey, I feel like Jersey cows is something in my brain that I've heard Jersey of. Jersey cows, famous cows, best yes. milk in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so are there, are there other aspects of your life that because of the sea are either changed or like if you, are you getting like, I don't want to say deliveries, but like packages and things and like certain schedules. Like, is there a difference in your life since moving to a smaller island that you maybe you weren't expecting? Yeah, I think I think some of the things that I used to love about London, like having amazing theatre on my doorstep, having talks and lectures and, you know, there's like culture wise, there's just so much available and also just diversity of choice mm-hmm. and people and you know there's nothing like London I I love it in another way and I think coming to a small island you know it, it's it's got a big-ish population for its size there's a hundred thousand people here mm-hmm. but and but you know there's not a huge choice of of theatre that culturally there's not so much going on mm-hmm. and so the things that me and my friends do you'd more like meet up for a sea swim in the evening rather than going to a talk or to the pub. Um, and so I think, but I don't know how much of that is is also to do with my age in terms of, you know, moving here in my late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's what I would be doing, more middle-age activities. But I feel like, yeah, we we yeah. spend the, 
social time going you know going paddle boarding with friends or yeah Mm -hmm. meeting up for a sea swim or getting a bottle of wine and meeting a friend and sitting on the beach and watching the sun go down which is just kind of playing to what the island has to offer rather than Uh feeling sad that you can't go to a musical (laughs) (laughs) I do think it's like a little bit of both though because I, I know exactly what you mean so I live in Cleveland Ohio and we are blessed with uh this is something not many people know Cleveland in the United States, outside of Broadway in New York City, Cleveland is the largest theater city in the country. Oh, wow. It's yeah, it's a very we have this beautiful district of our city called Playhouse District, and it's where we have multiple like world class theaters. And so we do get first run musicals and theatrical productions that come in. And much like you, like I have been to hundreds of you know i've i've seen hamilton and wicked and les mis like 15 times because these things come through here all the time but uh, you're talking about like i said adjusting our life to our age i still have access to those things but you're absolutely right like if one of my friends were to say hey do you want to go for a walk in the woods and like have a cup of cider i'm like oh that sounds so much better than like getting dressed <laughs> yeah. up to go to the theater most nights so i do think it might be a little bit of column a a little bit of column b <laughs> Yes, exactly. So it's hard to tell. I like, and I have children now, so we do a lot of at the weekend, just like going to build sandcastles on the beach or going to look for sea glass. Which I don't know if you know what sea glass is, but it's yeah. So like that's a real thing that we do here as well, mm-hmm. just kind of going to collect sea glass and I make little pictures out of sea glass and yeah all these very middle-aged activities that 25 year old me would have been like, what? What are you exactly. doing? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. We'll be back with more passions and prologues after this break. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. And now, back to passions and prologues. Do you find yourself being, you mentioned kind of your second book being like a love letter to living on this island and, you know, this type of a lifestyle, but from a day to day, you know, before we started recording, you're mentioning how, especially right now, because you're in like the middle of a publicity blitz and you got a lot of life things going on, like it's hard for you to find time to write, obviously. But would you say that your life interactions with the sea and just how you kind of are connected to it on a day-by-day basis. Would you say that that has sort of bled into, as as you say, soaked? Has that soaked into your writing process and anything like that? I mean, I think think definitely with my second book, Just Haven't Met You Yet, just because it was so about the islands and Mm -hmm. I put in all these places that I love and I actually went to you know, go to walk on the beaches that I was writing about to kind of capture what was there and the flowers and the fauna and the details. So I feel like the sense of place is is really, really there in that book. And actually, interestingly, so my current book, Before I Do, is mm-hmm. not anything to do with the sea. It's not set by the sea. Um, and so maybe I went on a few less um, plot walks. You know, often sure. I'd go to the, take myself to the beach and go on a plot walk and sort of absorb 
absorb nature as part of my story when I was trying to think of stuff. But yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. still, when I'm stuck, I go outside, I go for a walk, yeah. I kind of think through my plots and my stories. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, part of before I do is set in Ibiza, which is another island, which mm-hmm. is close to my heart that I've um, have some family has um, has a holiday home there. So have been a few times. And again, like that that's a very different kind of island to to Jersey. But yeah, maybe some of that has some of my visits there have like soaked up the atmosphere, the kind of appeal uh-huh. of the sea. Um, yeah. And it's snuck in there somewhere. I it's been a couple of years at this point, but I interviewed an author, Emma Stonex, who I think is also from the UK. And they had a book called The Lamplighters. And it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all about these this sort of like mysterious lighthouse where these people disappeared and she told me that she spent a lot of time seaside when writing that book because she wanted her the writing of her book to be sort of like the water like mysterious and like long and like lapping up again it was she said it much more poetically than I could possibly but I found it really interesting and and after having read the book I was like oh I see what she means your books are romantic comedies which I, I don't know if there's any this might be me like being too esoteric, but like, do you find it a, like the aspects of living by the sea? Do you focus on those kind of like romantic aspects where like, cause it is, it's very romantic to live by the water and to like, you know, hear the lapping up of the the waves on the beach and things like that. Like, do you find that stuff going into your work at all? Or is this just me absolutely projecting this onto you? <laughs> No, I think so. I think definitely with In Just Haven't Met You Yet, which was set here, there was an element of sort of, you know, going, meeting someone on the beach or kind Mm. of um, going sea swimming or going on a date date by the sea and having a hot chocolate. Like all the little things that I love about the island, I definitely, that I find romantic, I had definitely put in there. And again, as you talk about the writing, there's definitely some sort of, you know, the metaphors and analogies that mm-hmm. I use, like they just unconsciously became quite seascapey, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But on, on a slightly more tangential point, I do find like, so I've, I've got quite into sea swimming since living here as well. Like that not, I mean, I'm not as hardcore as some people who go all year yeah. round. They go in the sea on Christmas day, but I always do try and kind of go in. And there's an element, I know, I know wild swimming and, cold sea swimming is very sort of the rage and popular at the moment but mm-hmm. there's kind of a reason for it because it it really does reset you and it takes you back to something yeah. quite kind of basic about our humanity mm-hmm. and a lot of my stories are all about somebody being on a personal journey and you know that there, there is love and there is romance but there's also always a journey of self-discovery and mm-hmm. I think that often I put in something like, you know, sea swimming or some moment where the character really gets in touch with themselves again and who mm-hmm. they are. Um, because I always like to write about transformation that's of the character internally, as well as any romantic storyline that's going on on the outside. So that's yeah. a really waffly answer. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it, was a waff- it was a waffly question, so that's perfectly okay. Now, I, so for you, like, what made you wants to focus on romantic comedies because this is it's a genre that I adore like those are I'm the type of person who I feel like there's so much darkness in the world like I if you're going to ask me to spend I think about movies if you're going to ask me to spend 90 to 120 minutes watching a movie like I would love it to be a romantic comedy so that I know that I'm going to enjoy it there's going to be like a happy ending I think you know when Harry met Sally is a perfect movie 
just like all these different things. What made you want to, and it might just be something as simple as it's something you're passionate about and you really enjoy spending time with these types of stories, but what made you want to write romantic comedies? Well, interestingly, so we're talking about sort of failure before we came onto the onto the show. And I didn't start out writing romantic comedies. The first book I wrote, the first manuscript I completed and sent off was actually a young adult sci-fi novel. Mm-hmm. So I think my kind of urge to write was just to write stories. And I didn't have a sp- specific kind of desire to necessarily do rom-coms. Um, and that got roundly rejected and <laughs> sent me into a hole of despair for several years. Um, and actually then a friend of mine who worked in publishing said, oh, have you noticed there's this competition? And it was a co- it was a competition to write the first three chapters of a romantic comedy. So I entered this competition and then the prize was to have be published as an ebook. And so that kind of was almost a happy coincidence that just that mm-hmm. happened to be a competition that I entered. And then that that led me to getting an agent. And then through my agent, I actually tried various different genres. But I think I was just very, I didn't really know how mm. books divided up into genres and categories and the difference between literary and commercial and women's fiction uh-huh. and rom-coms. And I think it was through trial and error and through talking to my agent, who she sort of said, look, Sophie, your voice actually really suits, would really suit a romantic comedy. You mm. have a very colloquial, dialogue-heavy style. You know, you like to write funny, silly things. Um, maybe you should, you know, focus on that. And that was just the, some of the best advice I've ever been given because mm-hmm. I think it does really suit my voice. And the more I write, the more I read in the genre. You know, I've always been a massive fan of rom-com films, but I didn't read a huge amount of rom-com mm-hmm. books. And the more I read, the more I feel like, yeah, these are my people. <laughs> yeah, I I found myself for the past couple of months reading a lot of cozy mysteries and someone who, uh, someone in my life who knows like my reading style very, very well. I told them, I was like, I'm really, I think I'm a huge cozy mystery fan. And they're like, yeah, you idiot. You're like, that's absolutely what you are. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it is like when you have someone else tell you, you're like, a light bulb goes off. You're absolutely right. Yes, completely. Um, Yeah. So uh, speaking of your books, tell our listeners about Before I Do, your new book that is just coming out now. So yeah, before I do is, so in all my rom-coms, I love to set up a central kind of what if or like a big like dilemma for my characters. Mm -hmm. So in Before I Do, Audrey, the heroine, is about to get married to her long-term boyfriend, Josh, who is lovely. They have a really nice relationship. They're about to have this huge wedding. And the night before the wedding at the rehearsal dinner, who should turn up but the one that got away, her what-if guy, Fred, who she had one amazing day with six years ago and was convinced that he is her soulmate. (laughs) And she lost touch with him unfortunately. And so him showing up at her wedding rehearsal, she kind of starts to wonder, is this the universe trying to tell me that I'm about to make a huge mistake? Mm -hmm. And the whole wedding is peppered with various disasters, which her grandmother-to-be tells her are terrible omens that she's not supposed to be getting married. So it's really about that central dilemma of how you commit to something as big as marriage when you've got this you know, in the back of your mind, you've always been wondering about someone or something that didn't quite come to pass. Um, but it's also about um, family and, you know, there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of mm-hmm. friends that will weigh into this. So, yeah, it's a high, 
highly stressful uh, event for Audrey. <laughs> I We were just talking about how, you know, like discovering that we both love certain genres and things like this. I will tell anyone who is listening to this who says they are not a romantic comedy person to read before I do, because like this is, I think, first off, I love that I love your writing, everything like that. But also, I feel like this is a situation where anyone of a certain age who has gone through school and gone through college or university and has met multiple people, like everyone has had that moment where you, whether it's after a glass of wine or you just can't sleep and you're thinking about, it could be that one date, it could be the person you met when you were in seventh grade. Everyone has had that moment where you're like, I wonder what they're doing. Or like, ah, should that have, what if that had gone differently? Like this is such a universal thing. And I just, I think it's, I, this is truly like a, it's like a gateway romantic comedy is what I, I. Oh, good. I like that. Gateway romantic comedy. Yeah. That's what it should be built yeah. with. Get people into you, it. <laughs> you could use it. Feel free. Yeah. But it is, it's like, I feel like in any relationship, even like the most perfect relationship ever, no matter how much you are infatuated with your partner and how well you get, you work together, there's some, there's always going to be like a niggle one time for one moment where you're like, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. And like that, is an impetus for a book right there. It's perfect. And I think the danger nowadays with Facebook and Instagram and the internet, you can find out who those yeah. people are and what they're doing and who they're married to and whether they're married to someone hotter than you <laughs> <laughs> and all of that stuff. So it is, and I think that this universal sense of wondering is also tied into, you know, if you believe in soulmates and that you're going to find the one and it's all kind of predestined and everything's meant to be, maybe you wonder less about the paths untaken. Whereas if you feel like it's entirely up to you and maybe you could have been happy with, you know, 10 different people that you, you've met and fallen in love with in your life, but for, for various reasons, some didn't go stay the course, you know, then I think maybe there's even more internal wondering about what mm-hmm. if and, you know, what might have happened. And I think for in this book, yeah, it's it's about that eternal dilemma that all of us have had but mm-hmm. supersized because it's happening on the most important day of her life. And she's got no time to <laughs> put off the decision. Yeah, there, there's a, um, actually we were talking about musicals before. There's a musical called If Then that is like literally explores this topic specifically where- Oh, that sounds good. I haven't heard it's of very, that. Yeah, so, it's, so if like backslash then, and the way that it works is there's this, I think the opening scene is taking place in like a park somewhere and this, you know, there's a meet cute moment And then from there, what ends up happening is the story is split, like the stage gets split into two different areas. And you basically see the same actors embracing these, like it's basically like what happens when you make a decision and then it shows you both of the the choices. Um, And then like you, like the, the play or the rather the musical carries on as almost like two musicals and you watch them both happen back and forth. And like the way that these like simple decisions can affect things. It is really, I feel like it's, it's a perfect story because it does exactly what you were saying. It shows you like, like for, before I do, the main character can't say, Oh, let me look at what would have happened if I made this. This is exactly what that musical does. It shows you both of those things, which is a thing that is obviously impossible for any of us to do, which is why the book is so fun and so interesting. And so like, it asks real questions in a way that people are like, Oh my God, like, I, I promise people you won't have an existential crisis while reading it. <laughs> you might. Okay. You might have an existential crisis when you read it. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you're about to get married. <laughs> yeah. So with, you were mentioning uh, before we started recording how all the different things you have to do. Where, how do you find time? Because 
for people, we are talking about how I'm clearing a novel. And it's like when you write your first novel before you have a literary age or anything, you write when you need to write, when you can write, when the news inspires you, whatever it is. But then for someone like you, like you have multiple books out now, you have deadlines and different things. So how do you write? Like, where do you fit it into your schedule? How does your writing process work? So it's interesting because my first book this time next year, I actually wrote um, in the evenings when I had I had a full time job and I had two little children and I just slotted it in I in the evenings. So I put I'd finished my job. I put my children to bed and I would mm-hmm. write five nights a week between eight and ten thirty. And I set myself a very clear goal that I was going to write, you know, 5,000 words a week. And I had a little calendar and I wrote down exactly how many words. And then I knew eventually by the end of it, I would get to 90,000 words and I'd have a first draft. And I think that book, strangely looking back, maybe I'm misremembering it, but I found it quite easy to do because, again, this was actually during kind of a period of my life when I had young children, I wasn't going out a a load. I wasn't having to turn down loads of fun theatre invitations because (laughs) there's there's no theatre here. Um, So I think I just committed and did it. Whereas subsequently, I've been very lucky in that I can now afford to be a full-time writer, which is Mm -hmm. great. But now I have more hours where I'm sitting at my desk and it's kind of my day job. But Mm -hmm. the kind of temptation to procrastinate and also the other demands on my time in terms of I could spend forever just like looking at my book being tagged on Instagram, which I was like, um, or, you know, chatting to book groups or doing Mm -hmm. um, a short story to market my, you know, all this little stuff that really Mm -hmm. adds up that is that I really enjoy. I love that side of it, but definitely takes up headspace. Mm -hmm. And I think there was something very charming in a way of writing that book and thinking probably no one was going to read it versus now the pressure of feeling like you, you know, some people are going to read it and that puts a certain, yeah, like it makes it, it does make it harder, but in a good way. (laughs) Yeah. Sophie's being very modest. A lot of people are going to read these books, but I, I do know what you mean. Like when I, I am, I was the opposite when I wrote my manuscripts to mine, I am a morning person. So I wrote from like 6am to 8am before I would start work and same thing like when people ask like how did you write a whole novel I'm like I didn't write a whole novel I wrote 1200 words a day or 800 words a day or yes. 2000 words if it was a like you know insanely fast but I was like you don't think about it like just okay, do it bit by bit break it down exactly bit by bit. exactly yeah what genre I be what genre is your book so I like magical realism sort of like fabulism it's um a I have an author friend who has actually been on the show and two years ago we were talking and I was like, there should be, I just finished reading The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern. And I was like, there should be more mysterious. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, there should be more books about like mysterious circuses. Anytime someone tells me like there's a mysterious circus in this novel, like I don't need you to tell me anymore. I want to read it. (laughs) She's like, so she's like, so write one. She's like, you've been in the literary world for a decade. Go write a book. And so I I did. So it's a, a, kind of like a dark, mysterious traveling circus type of a... Ooh, love it. Love it. That sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. So I always end our conversations by having the author give a recommendation of anything you want to be. It could be a book. It could be uh, somebody, a recent author just said, go for a walk. It could be um, a TV show, a, a recipe that you think more people should know about. Just some recommendation that you want to give to my listeners? 
Okay, so my recommendation is going to be go and jump in some cold water, whatever is your closest cold water, be it a lake or a sea or a river. I mean, don't do this if you can't swim. That's my caveat. (laughs) (laughs) Or take a life preserver. But yeah, go and go for go and get really cold. Go and watch Wim Hof, who's like the expert on like cold water swimming Uh and test yourself physically and or have a cold shower if you are literally nowhere else. Go and have Mm -hmm. a cold bath or a cold shower and just see how it changes your mindset for the day. And yeah, like that's going to be my big top tip. Listen, cold water. Sophie, there are, there's like scientific like truth behind that. Like people like getting into cold water, like does something into your brain. It's, it's good for you. I totally agree. That's a perfect recommendation. Before I do, like I said, it is to me, it's like a gateway romantic comedy it's a perfect book for people who have read romantic comedies for years and years and someone who has never picked one up before i adored it and i loved this conversation sophie thank you for joining me today ah thank you so much no it's been really fun to chat passions and prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by adam sokol it was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other Evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.